0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit
1: www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
0: Welcome to Comeback City. Where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about the Charles Wright Museum of Amer- African American History. Um, with me today is my co-host, Ed. Hi, Ed. How you doing?
1: Hi, Linda. Good to see you.
0: This episode is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offers 15 historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure. So, um, Ed, we both went to the Charles Wright uh, Museum of African American History for the very first time this weekend. It was the
1: first time, and I had been meaning to go for, well, almost since it opened, and I thought, wow... Finally, I'm being pushed into this, and I'm so glad I went. It was great.
0: You know, it was a great experience to – it was a great opportunity to explore something that I, like you, always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, just had never made the time for it before. But I think, you know, with the recent passing of Aretha Franklin and, um, you know, it was was kind of a timely – Uh, occasion to go visit this gorgeous museum.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, recently we've um, highlighted Wayne State University and uh, other things in the cultural center. The DIA. And this is such an important addition to that, that it almost seems like it's a must-do experience. I think
0: so. I totally agree (laughs) with you. So, Ed, you know, we have a new segment for our podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is called
1: Stump, Stump the, the Coast. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so um, I'm a little bit afraid of the questions that you are going to give to me. And I'm also afraid that you are going to just think my questions to you are so easy. No,
1: no, no, no. But, no. I'm uh, easily stumped.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll ask you a question. And then how about if you ask me a question? Okay, Sound like a good idea? Yeah. Okay. Ed, you know, for how many years was Coleman Young mayor of Detroit?
1: Oh, geez. Let me think. You know. They have
0: a nice uh, tribute to him in the museum. They
1: absolutely (laughs) do. Yeah. And um, in fact, I think one of their – Um, Meeting rooms is called the Coleman Young Room. It wasn't open when I was down there, but they do special meetings there and presentations and things. But, yeah, no, there there was a a very nice one, and um, I actually learned some new things. I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, You know, how long was his tenure? Oh, I'm going to say – oh. 16 years? You're close. It was 20. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, I found that tribute to him, which is almost its own room, um, very interesting because, okay, just to let everyone know, Ed and I are white baby boomers who live in the suburbs.
1: In the suburbs, yeah.
0: And what we have been told about Detroit our whole lives by our parents and other people – Um who live in the suburbs have been a lot of times very negative,
1: right? That's,
0: especially about Coleman Young.
1: That's the that's the narrative, and um, unfortunately, our uh, county executive in Oakland County has kind of yeah he support, set the tone has kind of set the tone for yeah. that, and um, so a lot of people, you know, just believe a lot of things that just really never happened, or certainly don't look at it in any kind of uh, overview that that's uh, at all positive, positive or realistic.
0: No, at all. Absolutely. And there's, you know, a lot of blame game going on. And Mm -hmm. I think Coleman Young has been the recipient of that blame game forever. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't perfect, but in a lot of ways, he was a huge hero to the city and the city residents.
1: Yeah, and you can see it in the fact that he's still highly regarded by residents.
0: Very highly regarded. Right. Absolutely. Um, So, Ed, you got a question for me?
1: Well, yeah. I was actually going to kind of lay it on you later on, but... um, um, are you familiar with the name John Newton? I am not. Okay. John Newton was not a, an African American. Really? Far from it. As a matter he wasn't even an American because as an entity it didn't even exist. Uh, John Newton was a an English um, – well, he wound up being a, a very revered – minister, and... Um, from England? Yeah, from England, and he was affiliated with the Methodist Church, uh, but his early days were something very different, and um, John Newton actually worked in the slave trade, Oh, and, um, you know, buying human beings and selling them Lovely. on the open market, he was a slaver, and um That all changed. It changed later in his life, and it happened when he had an epiphany that what he was doing was wrong, was against the laws of man and God, uh, and anything that would be considered humane and right. And this was when he decided to become, um, to go into the clergy. And it was sort of his come-to-Jesus moment, and he renounced slavery and became a leading abolitionist and uh, also penned a poem that became a very famous song. Do you know the song?
0: I've never heard of this.
1: Okay. Take a guess. Think of an anthem. Think of—
0: We Shall Overcome.
1: Uh, no, no. It's actually goes back maybe further than that. Um you may um you may associate it with people singing it in not only in churches but in other areas it's closely associated with uh African American life and you may remember our last president Barack Obama um actually singing it spontaneously at a church service um, after the Charleston, South Carolina shootings.
0: Well, it's not swing low, sweet chariot.
1: No. What is it? Amazing Grace. Amazing
0: Grace. (laughs) Oh. Yeah.
1: Amazing Grace. And the reason why it it came up in this exploration, and it was sort of an aha moment for me, is um, going through one of the... Signature exhibits at the Charles Wright Museum, there was a uh, a little nook that kind of talked about him, and it was in conjunction with uh, viewing a, a horrifically realistic mock-up of – full-size mock-up of a slave ship and the sleeping quarters, if that you want to call so them
0: That was so dramatic. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they said – and and they talked about how it, it was so inhumane, so horrible, so horrific, and that some of the – you know, that even some of the white slave masters and the people that were conducting this were even appalled by it. Oh, yeah. And so they cited um, Reverend Newton and talked about the, the – the, And
0: this was – like the 1800s or?
1: Um, this was in, um, oh, let me see. I don't know if I wrote down the date or not. Um, it would be in the late 1700s. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. So this is a colonial period.
0: You know, I really felt that, you know, the big, the big, Part of this museum that is it called "We Shall Overcome"? This no, whole? no,
1: it's, it's "Still We Rise." Well,
0: "Still We Rise." Yes, yeah. I mean, there was so much in there. There was so much information. It was um, really an eye opener, right? An absolute eye opener. And the the enormous section on slavery was almost overwhelming, right? It was just. Um, You know, all I can think about is something I read when I was there about man's inhumanity to man. To
1: man, yes, right.
0: Just, you know, horrific.
1: Right. And I mean that that phrase is used often referring to the Holocaust. Right. Um, But, of course, this is, you know. This just went on forever. one, One of the greatest examples of that. And for all of our pride in being American, it is also our greatest shame. It you know? really is. Um, it was called the Peculiar Institution at the time. And uh, the fact that we we did it and that we held on to it for so long. And, of course, the effects of it are still seen. Absolutely. Know. I mean, it's the elephant in the room. It and, totally and, and, is. In any discussion about Uh, American past, present, or future.
0: And particularly in Detroit, I would have to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Okay, I got a question for you, Mm -hmm. co-host. So um, the very beginning of that huge, big exhibit was a lot about Africa. Yeah. Which was so... Interesting. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's it's very cool because it it actually takes you on a an African American journey. It really does, starting with the the roots of with you the know. very
0: first human. Yes,
1: that's right.
0: That was unbelievable. Yeah, and I love the timeline. They would show what was happening in different parts of the world, and um, yeah, it was very very interesting. And I loved all the information about, uh, you know, the weavings that they did mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the beadwork right. and, and the different uh, crops that they grew. Right. Plants. So here's your question What type of shell was used for currency in various parts of Africa?
1: I think it's the cowrie shell. Yes, you are totally <laughs> right.
0: And in fact, I bought some cowrie shell. Earrings in the gift shop. They that's have a beautiful nice. gift shop. Yeah, at it the really museum. is a
1: nice one. It it's is a very nice.
0: One, yeah. I'm going to definitely go back there to do some Christmas shopping.
1: <laughs> right, I
0: think so. Yeah,
1: no, I and and you know that's a motif in a lot of African jewelry, and but it made its way into European and and American jewelry. You see it in arts and crafts, and I think my mother, when I was a little kid, she had a, a cowrie shell uh, bracelet. bracelet. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, you know, Africa is—you know, whenever I see a map of Africa, I always think, Africa's huge. Yeah. yeah. And well, well, they I...
1: do they do an interesting thing down there. They have this huge map of Africa. Yes. And then you can push uh, buttons right. for uh, ver- various countries, right.
0: the United States, United States
1: oh, and my it gosh. will superimpose it on yeah. it. And all of them are just swallowed up by Africa. They are swallowed up. It's big. Be- it's— it's bigger than anything. It's it's second only to Asia.
0: It's um, enormous,
1: and it yeah, it is. It's
0: and you know, huge continent. As a kid, I don't remember ever learning about Africa in school. Did you?
1: Well, it's I, like we're never I, taught anything. We did, but you know what? It was always like a, a side. Uh, you know, it was, right. it was always just a little unit, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, it certainly didn't go into a lot of depth. Um, it was
0: mostly European history. Yeah,
1: that's right. And you never got a sense of the, not only the vastness, but also um, how different different parts the of Africa are. The diversity yeah. is incredible.
0: Unbelievable.
1: But I think, you know, in, in talking about um, our roots in Africa, and it makes very clear that we are all African. We are. I mean, we are all descended from one woman. I mean, they know this now. It's mind-boggling. Yes, the genetic Eve, she's called. Right. In other words, if you trace every DNA on Earth, they go back to this one woman.
0: I mean, (laughs) it's not only a history lesson. It's a biology lesson. It
1: absolutely is.
0: And, you know, the beginning of culture.
1: Yeah. And it completely uh, kind of changes your idea uh, about race and ethnicity and we real, you know, you realize that skin color and that's a you know, pretty minor thing. Hair and things like that are all, you know, that those are those are things that are just little adaptations in different parts of the world. But people make such a
0: huge, a big huge deal thing. about yeah. it. I mean, it would be like you know, all blue-eyed people, right? You know, or exactly. all red-haired people.
1: Exactly. This skin
0: color thing. It doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know.
0: I could have spent, I think, a lot more time in that whole Africa.
1: I spent the majority of my visit there. I mean, like two hours long. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I really did. I, I did there was ponder a lot it, there. And it, it and was beautifully presented. It was amazing. You know, it. Um, when we were kids, we went to museums and we saw dioramas, and so right. and they were usually kind of interesting, but yeah. some of them were cheesy, some of them were right. great, but they were always things that you just looked at a little panel on a wall, and um, it generally was wasn't something that was to human scale. I mean, they were no. like little models, okay. Right. This is a whole different thing. This is oh, immersive. Yeah. You walk in and the lighting is so good, They're you really... know, uh, and you're like drawn from one, room to room, that kind of meander, you know. So you're turning here, you're turning there. And um, it's not like a big, huge gallery. It's it's all of these uh, things that kind of take you through the historical African experience.
0: And it's kind of almost like a little trail, too, mm-hmm. you know, where you just go through, you know, the section about Africa and the different parts of Africa. And then mm-hmm. you go into another section where, you know, the, the farmers and the curry shells and, you know, right. that business and everything. And right. Then, all of a sudden, boom, you find yourself in Paradise Valley.
1: Yes, I know. It just it you really do have a sense of the continuity yes. of, of black life and uh in this country and um and roots, you know. Um but it is
0: a gorgeous, a gorgeous presentation.
1: It is. I mean one of the be- I think maybe the best I've ever seen. There's not one false or cheesy uh, not one bit. moment in 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 the whole thing.
0: No. You and know? very moving.
1: Very moving and sometimes even kind of frightening it is um, kind of frightening, yeah, because you really put yourself in the position of human beings that uh, when they when they move into this i mean, first of all you 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 know what you were referencing the village life that 's in the the country or the the region of uh, Benin. On, in West Africa right. and they show like a, a typical village and there's like full-size figures that are yes. really very well done. Yes. And y- you hear them like, you know, you hear uh, the sounds of, of the village. I know. I could and, hear
0: voices, you know, coming yeah. from different areas and I kept thinking, w- are there people up there?
1: yeah and uh and so you have a sense of of you know just kind of this normal life yeah uh, people that had trading systems and that farmed crops and that had families and had you know like uh, emotions that we can really relate to uh and then from there you know where you have the sense that they there was some stability in their lives uh, you're drawn into the slave trade, where yeah. people were just rounded up, and it becomes absolutely chilling. And of course, it it reaches its peak when you um, you know kind of enter into a slave ship, yeah. and you actually walk through, and it's very dimly lit, and there's just bodies one after another. That are stacked the up, yeah, and, and and you know you hear the moaning, and you you know so many people didn't survive, uh, just deplorable conditions. Yes, so yeah, it it's it, and then you come up on deck, right, <laughs> so to speak, and uh, that's where they you know there's the little bit about. Um, John Newton writing Amazing Grace, you know, in his epiphany that, whoa, this is so wrong. (laughs) And, um, but yeah, yeah, you feel like you're really kind of there. It's a
0: very big story.
1: It is. It's a big story. And they devote a lot of space. And, uh, you know, it's something that. You you would not rush through. I can't even imagine anyone no. going through and just checking off no. the boxes.
0: And I know you said you went by yourself and I also went by myself. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a nice way to do a museum like that. Mm-hmm. You can kind of go at your own pace. And right. You don't have to worry about – You know, the people that are with you, if they want to move on or if they want to stay a little longer or something, you can just kind of meander on your own time. I kind of recommend that approach to a a museum like this. Yeah,
1: I think so, too. And the fact that I went – you went on like an er – in the morning, Saturday right? morning. And I went on, you know, uh, Friday afternoon, and so there weren't many people there. No. I mean, it was astounding. It was very quiet. You know, it was very quiet and uh, almost kind of, you know, hallowed. You know, you, you, um, you could really immerse yourself in the whole exhibit. Uh, in You really could. Because there, there weren't any competing things, you know. No. So, yeah. Yeah, I would recommend that if people can.
0: Yeah. So you got another question for me, Ed?
1: I don't know. I mean... I'm kind of afraid. um, Oh, let's see. Um, Oh. Well, I
0: got another one for you. Okay. Yeah, lay it on me. Okay, so outside of the museum is this huge, enormous sculpture, 20 feet tall, black and white, Charles McGee, Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. It's
0: people, kind of. They look like they're in motion and they're they kind of – I don't know if it's stone or – it's a sculpture. It's, it's me- beautiful. It's metal. It's, it's it, metal. It's polychrome
1: metal. Right, you know. and it's black and white. Black and white, which is obviously symbolic. Right.
0: So it was installed in uh, 2016, just a couple of years ago. So it's pretty new. And it's outside the entrance. So you kind of mm-hmm. see it when you first walk in and it kind of just jumps up at you. There it is. Boom. Right.
1: It's in a plaza space. Right. So It's actually raised up a little. Yes. So you walk Yes, I know. It, it's very the... pretty. Yeah.
0: Um, so do you know how old Charles McGee was when he finished this sculpture? Yeah, I do. Do you? As a matter of fact. I knew it was going to be hard to stump you. (laughs)
1: Um, I'm going to say 93 or 92. 91. Okay. 91. That is so amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I had heard the name, um, and I have actually, once I— you know, realized who it was, I realized I've seen other works of his. There's one in front of the DIA, kind of on a corner, that's sort of right. similar. Right. It does
0: look like that.
1: Yeah. And there's one um, there's one at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Really can't believe it. Yeah. But he does, there's these very fluid... That kind of people? Yeah. It's like of, they're dancing oh, or something. Oh, also one of our favorite things, Linda... The People Mover. He did one of the art stops. Oh, yeah.
0: one of the mosaics. One or? of the mo-
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, is it is it a sculpture?
1: It's that uh, he did. I think it is, or it might be uh, like a the guy running,
0: maybe. Or no, something? it's
1: not the guy running. It's um, um, it's one of the ones over near the financial district, but oh, okay. it's not the financial district. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Huh. And, but it, it's also in that sort of. Black and white, kind of free form, sort of uh, oh, okay. jazz. You know, yes. with, with I right. Mean, th- th- this is a figure. These seven figures in this immense sculpture at the at the right are actually people doing the jitterbug. You know, is that what they're doing? Yeah, they're dancing to like a a, a jazz band, a, a blues jazz band. I love know? it. And you have a sense of fluid and everything. You really do. And it's called "United We Stand." Yeah you know? Oh my gosh. But
0: I just love that he was 91 when he finished it. mm -hmm. I mean, talk about you're not dead yet.
1: That's right. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he had, uh, he studied for a year in Barcelona when he was a young man and said that was like a really important thing because there's some great art there. Um, But then he came back to Detroit and he's, he's really, he, he went to the school that is now called the Center for Creative Studies Yeah, uh, when it was sort of a, a fledgling uh, right. art school. And um, he's really considered kind of the grand master now or the most revered um, Detroit artist. That's great. You know, and he's still going strong. That's, that is fabulous. Yeah. He's, he's really cool. I, I have a quote of his. Um, he said that he came to Detroit at the age of 10 where he found everything was on the move and it hasn't slowed down yet. (laughs) And neither is he, you know, that's so great.
0: That is, that is wonderful. Especially in our era of comeback city here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that he was the perfect person and, and, when they when they built the new museum, I think he had his eye on the spot. He said, "I really want to do something," and of course, he was their perfect choice. So yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I think we should talk a little bit about Dr.
1: Charles Wright. Yeah, like who is this person? Yeah, you know? who is he, yeah. and
0: where did he get this idea, and how did he make it happen?
1: Right, and his story is pretty amazing itself. Let tell us about it. Well. Um, Charles H. Wright was born in in Dothan, Alabama, which I happen to know where that is because um, my kids actually had, uh, or my oldest son Jeff had, a friend um, who uh, whose parents moved down there. Uh, the stepdad was a uh, a doctor, and he decided uh, he had been a surgeon at at I think at Beaumont. And he decided to go down and start a surgical practice in Dothan, Alabama. And um, so – and Jeff even went down to visit him. But it's this kind of small, you know, medium-sized town. This is Alabama. uh, Down near the Florida Panhandle. So this – you know, uh, uh, a black boy growing up in Dothan, Alabama in the 1920s, you know, there weren't – A whole lot of opportunities. He went to the south. He graduated from the Southeast Alabama High School. Now, if you can imagine a state having a a a high school,
0: Southeast Alabama. Yeah,
1: remember that this any school that he went to was one hundred percent African was black. Yes, because it was segregation. It it was you know Jim Crow segregation, and so yeah. There were, it wasn't there wasn't an expectation that black kids were going to go to high school, you know, and so uh, he graduated from there and um, then went on and went to the one um, black medical school in um, in the South um, in Nashville, and um or i shouldn't say the one the the first in the south and um it's still there it's a respected medical school um then he came north and he had a really really interesting life um he did he he actually uh visited africa he did um he worked on the uh, USS Hope, you know, the, the medical ship, uh-huh. uh, and did some work off of Columbia. Um, but he um, became a, a doctor. He he's actually did his internship, I think, at uh, in Harlem in New York. And he came back and um, he, his specialty was OBGYN. He was a woman's doctor.
0: Right. I read that he, in his lifetime, delivered 7,000 babies in Detroit. Oh, I didn't know that, but
1: I'm sure that's true.
0: I'm sure it is, too.
1: And uh, so one of the most interesting things about Charles Wright is he was also an activist. He was a fierce advocate for um, health in the African-American community and um, it was not on par with what was available for the white population, and so um, after doing some work in Cleveland, he came to Detroit, and he was accepted uh, as the only uh, black doctor at Hutzel Hospital, and that was um, then called Woman's Hospital at w- Detroit Women's Hospital. Right you know so that was the the main women's health center in Detroit um and he became board certified as an obgyn and a general surgeon in 1955 so this was all in the 50s but he was astounded to see that even in you know the northern city of Detroit um segregation was still rampant in the medical profession yeah for instance, um, a patient—he could not admit one of his patients, and he was serving the, you know, the African American community. He could not admit his patients to the hospital if there were no rooms available. Where um, that uh, at the time, you know, these were not private rooms; they were in, you know, like shared rooms. Um, He couldn't admit one unless it was with – in a room that was designated for a black person.
0: You know, the end of slavery was not the end of white people being
1: mean. (laughs) No, that's right. To black people. Yeah. No, and this this was institutionalized, you know. I mean, we've talked about race, racism in the area and in uh, housing and in real estate. Uh, and much of it was, you know, not written down, but it just happened. I mean, this was actually official policy. Yeah. The boards of these hospitals. Right.
0: Separate uh, but yeah. equal. Whatever. And so,
1: yeah. And, of course, we know that when things are separate, they're not equal. They're, they're never not equal. equal. No. So, anyway um, – This was the way it was but he wasn't going to accept that and uh, he railed against it. But um, finally, he was able to have some leverage because um, our uh, senator at the time, Phil Hart, that Hart Plaza is named for and the Hart Office uh, Senate office building in Washington, um, he – there was a, a, a federal grant that was available to uh, hospitals in Detroit, and uh, this involved like 600,000 dollars, which in the: the uh, It was a 50s bunch of money was back a lot back. of money.: yeah. yeah. And of course, the, the hospital couldn't wait to get its hands on it. And Dr. Wright, who was on staff there, um, wrote to Phil Hart personally and said, "Don't give them a dime." Because this is what happens. Uh, they, they will not accept black interns. They will not accept black residences. Uh, they will not allow black patients unless they're herded into other areas. Um, and if there's no rooms available for, you know, no black rooms available, yeah. they can't be admitted. And this is the major women's hospital in Detroit. Right. In the 1950s yeah. and 60s, this is in the early 60s that this happened, and um, he said, "Don't you know you don't have to plan a special visit to check this out. Just pop in any time, and you'll see it." That, that that night, Phil Hart contacted the board of directors for Hutzel Hospital and said, "Is this true? I mean, do you have anything to say about this? Can I come and visit?" The next day, the hospital was integrated. <laughs> so this is this is one person really making a a huge difference.
0: And you know, in a future <laughs> podcast, I would really like to examine Phil Hart.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he he was a uh, a wonderful and powerful liberal and sane voice. You know, and his in our legacy community.
0: lives on in Hart Plaza, which is a very beautiful place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was a, just a powerful advocate for the city and for the state of Michigan. Yeah. I think yeah. I think we should do that. I think we uh, should. So too. anyway, yeah. Um so he made huge so Charles Wright made huge strides in the um in the medical you know community in in Detroit. But at the same time, he because of his travels to other parts of the world, he was also extremely interested in the importance of raising awareness for African-American culture.
0: You know, pride in the history of African-American forebears and their mm. struggles for freedom. And um, he decided that Africans-American needed a museum to collect and preserve their history and culture. And uh, it happened. Right. He made it happen.
1: He made it happen. He started with a. Uh, uh, I, I was reminded because of the address; it, it wasn't too far from uh, Hitsville, USA, the Motown Museum. Uh, he began this on this, Grand Boulevard uh, on, on West Grand Boulevard. And um, you know, began assembling uh, really kind of an amazing collection of African American artifacts, documents, masks uh masks, things uh not only from the distant past of uh, of African heritage, but also from you know the travels to uh America, the New World and then Right.
0: You know. The inventions of
1: Elijah yeah. McCoy. Right.
0: You know, yeah, and uh eventually um, I think it was in 1978, the city agreed to lease the Museum of Plot of Land between Jenner and Brush Street to build a good sized facility, five times larger than the original one. And um, in order to raise funds, Detroit Public School students participated in a Buy a Brick campaign, and they raised $80,000 for the new facility. And uh, a group of adults started the Million Dollar Club, which each member pledged, pledged at least $1,000 and little by little more money was raised and the city formed a partnership to build the new facility in the cultural center and um, eventually a $3.5 million facility. Opened, um, It was originally called the International Afro-American Museum, and it was changed to the Museum of African-American History. And the ground was broken for the new facility uh, on May 21st, 8, 1985. Right. And two years later, on May 8th, 1987, the doors to the Museum of African-American History were reopened to the public at uh, three hundred one Frederick Douglas, which is the area, yeah, that it occupies now. the The new twenty eight thousand square foot structure accommodated a range of programs featuring a series of exhibits, lectures, concerts, cultural celebrations, festival. Programs designed especially for children, and it preserved the past and strengthened the future.
1: Right, right. So, I mean, it was a very fitting uh, – it's very fitting that um, um, our queen of soul, Aretha Franklin, who was loved so dearly by the city, by the world, uh, would be um, – would lie in state there. Yes, for her fans to see, I mean that was the perfect. I was wonderful. Yeah. Yes, yeah,
0: it was very moving. So the Wright Museum houses over thirty five thousand artifacts and archival materials, and is home to the Blanche Coggin Underground Railroad Collection, the Harriet Tubman, Tubman Museum Collection, the Coleman Young Collection. And a repository of documents of the labor movement in Detroit.
1: That's right, and uh, which was was so uh, you know that the the history of labor and the development of the labor movement is so tied to also the rise of uh, rights for African Americans. I mean, they really almost happened in, in, in you know together. Um, Walter Ruther is is you know has a prominent place down there, um, because he would, uh, he was a white labor leader uh, who was uh, just a, a strong advocate and a close associate of Martin Luther King, for instance, um, and so he's he's featured prominently there, and there are a lot of documents uh, relating to him and the labor movement in Detroit.
0: I I think the the heart of the museum is the Still We We Rise exhibit, Mm -hmm. that journey through African-American history and culture that we've talked about. It's 22,000 square feet, and it's an interactive core exhibit, and it is the largest single exhibition on African-American history in existence.
1: Right right and i don't know whether that's changed now that the new smithsonian african american museum is uh has opened or not but certainly right up until right up there right, right up until this past year or so uh, Detroit was it. This was the this was the the largest, the most put together museum. In the well, country. they're still
0: claiming this on their website. So. Okay,
1: so it 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 probably is, or maybe yeah. it's it, it's. We'll maybe. we'll believe them. We'll believe them. Yeah, because that's it, for sure it really is amazing, uh, and they also have, like you mentioned, the uh, research and archives. I think they that's named possibly for his wife. The uh, um, or I don't know. It's also right, mm-hmm. um, and it's called the uh, the Right Research Library and Archives. And you can make appointments there, or actually do group work there. Um, it's got it's perfect for genealogists. My wife Yvonne, as you know, uh, yeah. is is a uh, a genealogist, and so she was very excited about that. Uh, the people there gave me their card and said, "You know, have her come down." And um, people can—it's it, not—it hasn't always been easy for African Americans to trace their heritage and their roots. And so, this is a tremendous repository of records. That's you know, great uh, for people not only in the Detroit area, but uh, perhaps coming from the South, coming up through the Great Migration. So. Yeah, right. it's uh, it's a great research and uh, archive and, and facility. You
0: know, one of my favorite things about it, too, is that it's such a striking building, uh, even from a distance. Mm-hmm. And it's that rotunda. It's uh, 95 feet wide by 65 feet high glass dome.
1: Right. It's only slightly smaller than the... Um, the rotunda at the uh, nation's capital.
0: <laughs> yeah, and inside you've got the ring of genealogy, the thirty-seven foot terrazzo tile creation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. It's it's very beautiful, and I think the beauty is inspiring.
1: Yeah, they they did a, a great job in in having this huge open space because it's. It's not only uh, inspiring, but also it's extremely versatile. I mean, for instance, where else could you have something like a viewing for you know thousands upon thousands of people of someone like Aretha Franklin, where you weren't just you know falling over each other? Um, so yeah, you can hold large events in there. You can have large concerts. Um, it It's a very versatile space. They also um, have a – they've just recently opened a children's reading um, area and they have volunteers that will read to uh, kids and to groups. And there's a section also on um, uh, African-American pioneers in science, in science, technology, engineering. Um, yeah, and – um, for instance, the movie Hidden Figures that was so popular last year. Yes. Um, all of those women that were featured in that, and that's an absolutely true story, um, are are in this exhibit too.
0: Yeah, I you know, I really enjoyed my uh, visit to the museum. Um, did you take a look at the um, exhibit that's outside also on uh, the big kind of – billboard-type things on uh, on the grounds? Did no, you I, look didn't, at that? I didn't say that. Yes, that was about, you know, what we learned that growing up, we it was always referred to as the riots, but oh, really it's yeah. the rebellion. And you know what? It was very kind of eye-opening. Mm-hmm. You know, it talked about it in a different way than I've ever heard anyone that I've ever known talk about it and how it started and how it escalated and what happened right. and how it got totally out of control and you know we really never got a full um view of this entire event and it changed everything you know for the city uh, in a lot of ways and it was it was a it was a nice view from a different point of view
1: yeah 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 we're we're very used to seeing that in uh, in in uh a very <laughs> a very specific focus especially for you know white suburbanites but the uh the view of it from f- residents in the city is completely different and, and the jo- view, like yeah,
0: the view of coleman young
1: yeah absolutely um yeah there's there's been a, a lot of spin Uh, since then. You know, and I
0: kind of get the irony of two white people here talking about the African American Museum.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's not lost on me either.
0: You know, and I really, I really believe in getting both sides of every story. Right. And this is a really great way to do it. You're
1: a journalist and that's what you do. And so this is, um, I, I, I think, a really important thing, almost a kind of a duty to uh some, somebody in in this area in any area but we have this this fabulous jewel this facility and i i think we're really irresponsible if we don't take advantage of that i'm
0: ashamed of myself for having not ever been there in all this time i am too
1: i am too and because you know, we've
0: been to everything else right. in the cultural center
1: yeah yeah, we've
0: been to everything else. in the I Cultural mean, Center. you know,
1: I'm down at the DIA all the time, and right, right. around the corner was this gr- great, beautiful, gorgeous place. building. Yeah, that I just would drive by and say, "That's interesting. Oh, that looks like a flying saucer. Oh, you know how cool." But I didn't go in. Well, that's not going to happen anymore. I'm going to be on. I'm on there. I I've joined their mailing list. I'm going to check out when they have new. You know exhibits. You know, and
0: for like family outings, and yeah. if you have out of towners, mm-hmm. um, it's a wonderful thing to go see.
1: It really is. It really is, and it makes a. Uh, you
0: learn a lot, and you know it's still a beautiful experience too. It is. It's expir- inspiring.
1: Yeah, and I've got uh, some some nuts and bolts interesting news. Uh, If any of our listeners uh, belong to our members of the uh, Detroit Institute of Arts uh, or other cultural institutions and are supporting members, then you can actually go there free because they're part of the Rome program, the R-O-A-M, which is um, the the, – what's the word – Oh reciprocity okay you know, museum reciprocity, and um it allows you to visit free of charge you know almost all the major museum institutions in the country, so this is a very cool thing, so I didn't have to pay a penny to go in good for you, yeah.
0: That's great. And, you know, on Comeback City, here we talk about past, present, and future. You know, there are some exciting things coming up in the future for the Cultural Center, too. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got that um, DIA Plaza and Midtown Cultural Connections design competition that's going on right now. I know.
1: They've narrowed it down to, I think, th- is it Three. In yes. the national firms yeah. yes
0: they've got down they've got it down to three and I think that they have a date uh the presentations of the three finalist teams january twenty third um it's going to be at the dia from nine a.m to five p.m I would definitely love to go look at these designs
1: yeah me too They're, they're seeking imp- um
0: Right. Input. They're going to have an open house format. right. And each team will present uh, a station,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, you know, and they're looking for input and feedback from the public. I, you know, I uh, encourage everyone to go down and I think it's going to be really
1: amazing. Yeah.
0: You know, just walking around that area on Saturday, there's so much there and... A lot of it's kind of hidden, and they could do so much more with it.
1: Well, I think that's what they want to do. They they uh, realize that uh, things are very compartmentalized now, just like us. You know, right? Going down to many of these places and bypassing others simply because we didn't really realize it was there no. or what it was, or yeah, uh, they want they want to be able to integrate all these things to make it. Walkable to make it pedestrian friendly, such a and great idea. to um to to really allow you to move from all these uh, different from from one cultural institution to another, you know. And we're really lucky that this is uh, concentrated the way it is. It, in, you know, in Detroit. What? It really. I mean, there's not, so
0: much there. I think it's 16 different institutions right. that they want to connect, right. which is a lot.
1: It really is. It really is, but we're lucky because they are, you know, really concentrated. I mean, we've talked about Wayne State now, and, uh, you know, this is just blocks away from that. So, Right across the street. Yeah, it really is. And
0: you've got the nice connection with the Q line to downtown. That's right. That's right. To make it
1: easy. Yeah, I think we're on the verge of uh, seeing this as just a um, major cultural renaissance. You know, and and uh, they're putting the funds and efforts into it. To it's make very that exciting. Happen. So I I want to be a part of that. I mean, I've got a uh, a couple questionnaires that um, I received um, about a month ago, and um, uh, uh, about the you know your what you'd like to see you know in the cultural center. Right. What, what's the reason that you go there? Uh, what do you think is lacking? Uh, Does there need to be better communication? Um, You know, how easy is is it to get from one place to another? Uh, How can this all be improved? And they're going to take all of that input and build it into their plan. That sounds so great. Yeah. That's great.
0: Well, I think we can uh, wrap it up a little bit here. I would like to give a shout-out to – Um, Tim Brohard for our great music, Katie Cunningham Bates for our logo, and I would also like to give a plug for Aladdin at the Detroit Opera House, which will be here in Detroit in January. So, um,
1: a lot of people are excited about that. It's supposed to be a great show. It's supposed to be a great show. I'm looking forward to it myself. And we, knew, and we know how fabulous the uh, the Detroit Opera House is. We
0: did a whole podcast. We did a whole
1: podcast on, on movie the movie palaces. palaces. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you for joining us on our journey into Detroit's past, present, and future.